good morning. Good morning. Uh, excited to uh, be sharing with you. Uh, Justin has taken some time. We went hunting. It's apparently that season to be in the mountains and, and walk around looking for animals to take home. So that's what people do this time of year, I'm told. Um, and so hopefully he caught his animal. Isn't that how it goes? Um, but uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, you can tell I'm a real big hunter, right? So, um, but uh, I'm glad to be here with you. We're continuing on this uh, series, Life on Mission, talking about what it means for us to be on mission uh, for Jesus. And um, uh, just to give a real quick recap, uh, this is important because um, we are disciples. Uh, those who choose to follow the way of Jesus become his disciples. And uh, as disciples, we're called into a life of making disciples. And uh, But we got to first know what a disciple is, right? As a disciple, uh, a person that follows Jesus. So we look at Matthew 4.13. This is the story where Jesus uh, calls out his first followers uh, on the beach. And uh, he makes this statement in Matthew 4.19. Uh, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is a, a three-part statement that Jesus calls uh, the first disciples into. He says, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. And so in real life, when we talk about discipleship or being a disciple, uh, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, right? Jesus says, come follow me. So you're following Jesus. Uh, you're being uh, changed into. Uh, Jesus is transforming you. So he says, I will make you into. So the process of following Jesus and, and being uh, someone who follows Jesus changes you. It should change you at least. And so Jesus says, and I will make you into. So someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus. And then lastly, he calls them into something uh, uh, to make you fishers of men. And so we, we talk about being committed to the mission of Jesus. And so a disciple, someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. That's a disciple, okay? So he starts there with his disciples. Um, but then at the end of Matthew's gospel, he calls them into something, right? The Great Commission is what we call it. He says, go into all the world, and, um, and make disciples, right? Make disciples. So Jesus starts by saying, come follow me. Well, I'm going to show you how to do it. But by the end of the gospel, he's now ready to say, now go and do the thing that I just did with you. Go make disciples. And so Matthew kind of bookends his gospel with this, this, this thing about Jesus making disciples, showing them how to do it through his, through his ministry and his life. And then at the very end says, now go do that thing that I just did for you, that I showed you how to do. And so as we are disciples, we are now called into a life of disciple making. If you identify as a disciple, you have a job to do, and it's to make disciples, right? So we have this, this graphic that, that we've been sharing here, and, um, and in this graphic at the center of it is Jesus, you as a disciple, you abiding in Jesus. And all that you do, if you are not centered in Christ as a disciple, um, it's going to be very difficult to do anything else for God. You have to be centered. This is the, the, the John uh, 15, uh, um, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, uh, uh, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's this idea of you abide in me and I in you, right? This, this power of connection into Jesus as a disciple. You're following him, 
You're being changed by him. You're on mission with him because as disciples, even we fall off that sometimes. Sometimes we forget that we gotta be following Jesus and, 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 and we forget that we need to be changed. We need to be growing in Christ and, and then sometimes we forget, yeah, we need to be on mission. So as disciples, we have to be centered but out of that comes these different um, places that we exist and so we've been walking through how to be on mission, to be a disciple maker in all areas of your life and uh, Justin been talking about family and kids and you know all these different areas that we are to be on mission and, and this morning I get to talk about work work being on mission at work and it, work is an, an interesting word because it might invoke different feelings and emotions for some of you um, for some work has become something that is compartmentalized in our lives i.e. what I do for God is different than what I do in my nine to five you know when I uh, go to work I'm doing this thing but then when I come to church or I'm a part of a ministry then I'm a part of God's work and so we compartmentalize these these spaces uh, for some uh, you think of it as like, you know, secular and sacred, that this is special when I come to church, but eh, my job's just my job. I'm just doing my job. Uh, for some, uh, it's a means of survival, right? Like work is a necessary evil. I got to go to work because I got to make money and I got to pay my bills and I got to pay my mortgage and take care of and raise kids, all these things. So work is like this means of survival. You're, you're doing it because without it, uh, right, you wouldn't survive. And, uh, and so it's hard. And, um, and for others, work is something that's like it's for personal gain. It's for me to grow this, this, you know, make more money so I can get the things that I want in life and do the things that I want in life. So work is just simply something to obtain more. And somewhere along the way, work um, for some have become a negative word. Right? It's, just, oh, it's just something I have to do. And yeah, we, you know, we wake up and we got to go do something to, to earn a living. Um, and, and so work is something that it's like this necessary evil, something I have to do. It's a negative in our lives. And I want to challenge us this morning to maybe think of work in a new way, to maybe open up a new paradigm in our minds to understand what is the biblical view of work? What is the biblical view of of work. And, and so we're going to explore that this morning. And uh, my history with work, um, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I've had quite a lot of different things in my life uh, when it comes to my waking up and going to work. And, uh, uh, you know, when I was in school um, during the summers, I framed houses in, in Utah. Uh, um, and uh, uh, right, kind of right when I graduated, around when I graduated, I ran a, um, an after-school program for the, um, uh, the city of West Valley City, Parks and Recreation, ran an after-school program for kids. Did that for a little bit. Uh, then I got into auto glass. That was kind of like my first, like, real job out of high school um, where um, I was a mobile technician, installed uh, windshields, uh, and, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Enjoyed that. Um, and then I moved to, to Boise in the year 2000, June of 2000, to be a youth pastor. And so I was invited to be a youth pastor, and I did that for seven years, full-time. Um, that was my only job. Did it for seven years uh, until um, I felt the calling, my wife and I felt the calling that, that we should lead a church. And, uh, and so we stepped out in 2007 to start a church. And, uh, um, and when you start a church, uh, um, you, you know, you're trying to grow a community, and, and we didn't have any money. So I had to go get a, a, another job. 
And, um, and so during that time that I was leading this church for, for roughly 10 years, um, I was bivocational, which means I worked a full-time job and I, I led this church um, that, that we were doing. And, uh, and so I was doing the church thing, the pastor thing, but I was working a full-time job. And those jobs, there were a, a couple different jobs during that 10-year span. Um, one of them was I started out uh, working at a call center because I just needed money. I just needed to make money. So I went to work at Teleperformance, which is a call center, and I worked in their Apple division, Means meaning if you had a problem with your, your MacBook, your MacBook Pro, you would call 1-800-MY-APPLE, you might get me, and I would help you walk through your problem and fix your problem. Um, over the course of a few years of being there, I, I started working my way up in the organization. Uh, by the end of my tenure there, I was the assistant call center manager uh, running the Apple division. And uh, um, we had probably 150 employees, depending on the holiday season. Um, I oversaw uh, 15 different managers um, during my tenure there. Uh, I started launching more call centers. I was invited uh, to be a part of the client services team where I would launch a call center in Montreal, Canada, uh, Utah, and that uh, about the time right before I, I left that job, we were getting ready to launch one in China. So I missed the boat on going to China. Uh, I should have stuck it out for a couple more months just to go to China. But um, so I did that, and I grew I grew rather quickly in, in advance, even though I didn't have a business degree. Right? I didn't have a management degree or anything like that, but, but seemed God's hand seemed to help me kind of move forward. But I got tired. I grew out of that because it was exhausting to my family. Again, I'm pastoring a church full-time while running, helping run this organization. Um, and that became to be a huge weight, and, and it, to the point where I just I had to move on and, and make a change at Teleperformance. So I went to work um, at a startup company. It was an internet marketing company called Page One Power. And, uh, and so I went to work there. I was the fourth employee as we started that company. And as I grew at that company, I was in the client services. So as we onboarded clients, I would manage those client portfolios and help them with uh, their accounts. Um, and so as I grew in that, we grew the company from four employees. When, when I left there, it was uh, we had about a 113 employees. So the company grew, and this was a period of, of, of roughly eight years um, that I worked there, and I, and I grew there. Again, still pastoring full-time. <laughs> uh, so I was running both of this, so running an organization um, while also pastoring. And um, at the time that I stopped uh, pastoring at our church um, and stepped down from that, um, I got laid off at, at the company where I was the fourth employee. And, um, and uh, when I got laid off, I needed to find a new job. So I called a buddy of mine. Uh, his name is Mark. He uh, owns a painting company. And, uh, and he said, well, why don't you come work for me? Because we're trying to grow from startup to kind of scale up and, and help uh, bring processes into the organization to help us uh, be more efficient as an organization. And so since that was a lot of my wheelhouse, because I'd done that twice over now, um, I jumped in with him. Worked there for a year, um, uh, but I was not a pastor anymore. So that was kind of nice because I only had one job for the first time in a long time. I only had one job, and I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then um, Justin sat me down and said, hey, man, I'd like you to come on staff here. And uh, eight, nine months later, here I am. That is my history of the past 20-some years of work. And work for me has been an interesting, it's, it's, it's not simply been about a vocation, but a calling into a lifestyle of what the biblical view of work is and should be that's helpful 
help me in my life. And so this morning, I hope that wherever you're at, when it comes to work and whatever your view is of work and mindset of work, I hope to open up a new paradigm that might bring you blessing when it comes to this idea of work in your life. Because here's the deal. Some of us think of work as just a means to get to an end where I can retire, sit on the banks of the whatever and do some fishing, which sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. But here's the thing. Work doesn't stop just because you stop doing a vocation. God is calling us into something bigger, more dynamic, more powerful. And I want to invite you into that story. So we're going to nerd out just for a little bit with this idea. You know I love this. What is the biblical view of work? We're going to talk about the biblical view of work. And to understand this, we got to go back. We got to go way back to the beginning of your Bibles, Genesis chapter one. If you want to join me there, Genesis chapter one. We spend a lot of time when I talk in Genesis one because there's just so much to unpack here. And um, in but it, get, it helps us set a framework for what maybe the biblical view of work is, what God desires for us when we think of this idea of work. And the question that we ask is that uh, when we read this is uh, through the lens of work. Who was the first worker in the Bible? Who was the first worker in the Bible? And what can we learn from that? We're going to answer that question here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. In the beginning. What kind of story is this telling us? Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. We hear in the beginning. It reminds us of a galaxy long, you know, far, far away, right? A, a once upon a time and a land far away, whatever. The, the, all of a sudden, in the beginning, it, it should stoke in us this idea of a narrative, something grand, something big that's happening. This is a big story. It's a grand narrative. Um, um, the Bible is a story claiming to reveal the meaning of truth of our existence. And so we get in the beginning because it's about to reveal to us truth about our existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created what's up here and what's down here. I don't have time to get into all of this, but sometimes we think of um, the heavens as like the place we go when we die, and then the earth, the globe, right? The globe. But this idea of a globe did not come into our imagination until much later in history when we had satellites or astronauts to take pictures of a round globe. We'd, so when we picture the earth, we're not simply talking about this globe in outer space. God is saying here at the beginning, God created what's up here and what's down here. That's the story. God created it all. It's a statement to launch us off into a discussion of what's really most important, not how all of this up here and down here got here, but what does God want to do with the up here and down here? That's actually more important. And that's where the story spends most of its time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep the earth was without form and void this is a specific hebrew word the hebrew word is tovu vavohu you want to try it with me we'll pull it justin tovu vavohu tovu vavohu Tovu vavohu. This means wild and waste. This is desolate. This is, this is think of like a wild nothingness desert. It's, um, it's, in, in, uh, it's, it's a place where um, things don't grow. It's a place that's out of control. It's a place in a chaotic status. And this is how in the, in the heavens and the earth, God created everything up there, everything down here, and the place down here was a wild and waste. It was tovu vavohu. Now, is this good or bad? Is the tovu vavohu, the wild and waste, good or bad? Well, depends on who you are. 
Depends on who you are. If you're sagebrush, right, the wild and waste is pretty good. If you're a lizard, right, wild and waste is probably okay. Tovu vavohu is not good for humans. The wild and waste is not where we were meant to exist, right? So in the beginning, God created up there, down here, and it was tovu vavohu. It was wild and waste. It was a wasteland, and this is not good for humans. It's not good for humans, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. God was in the wild and waste. So the story is set, right? God creates everything up there, down here, and down here was was chaotic. It was a wild and waste, and then yet God was there. He was hovering in. God was in the wild and waste, and that's where the story actually begins. Where the story begins. The Spirit was there, and God begins to order creation. He begins to separate and he begins to order and he begins to speak life into this wild and waste. And what does he call after every stance of something that he creates? What does he call it? Good, good. The Hebrew word for that, good, is tov. Tov is the Hebrew word there. God brings tov out of tovu vavohu. Do you hear it? God brings tov out of tovu vavohu. He's bringing good out of the wild and waste. He brings good. And who is the good for? Who's the tov for? Right? We know that wild and waste is, is not good for humans. So he orders and creates and separates and he brings good for humans. For humans. So God finally gets to the humans and gives them a task. He creates them, creates them in their, his image, male and female. He created them. And he says, Go multiply go into the earth multiply so god brings good into the earth makes tovu vavohu tov so that humans can exist and then he says now you humans go multiply now when we read this word we often think of like yeah go go procreate right go make more humans right and it's interesting is that this is the first time that god tells the creation to multiply He doesn't tell the the birds or the sea. He doesn't doesn't tell anyone else to multiply, but he tells the humans to go and multiply. Now that should stand out to us. Why does God tell? He doesn't tell anyone else, anything else to multiply because that's just what they do. It's natural. Of course they're going to multiply, but why would God single out the humans and tell us as if maybe they didn't intrinsically know as humans that they need to multiply or that they're going to multiply and procreate? I think there's something deeper happening in this command to multiply. I don't think this is simply about humans. You need to now go procreate, although that's what they do. Because as animals, right, that's, you know, rabbits make rabbits, and and bears make bears, and fish make more fish, and birds make more birds. But when humans multiply, when humans multiply, they make families. They make songs. They make art. They make civilizations. They make cities. They make things. The call to multiply for the humans is an act to live out what he expects them to do, which is to continue to bring tov in the midst of tovu vavohu. To continue bringing good into wild and waste. And that's why he says, go, multiply, fill the earth, which ought to invoke some questions in our mind, right? Wait a minute, where are they? 
in regards to where they should be in the earth. Go and fill the earth. Don't just stay here. Go bring tov. Subdue it. Subdue it. That word subdue is an action word that is tied to um, gardening. It's like, a, it's like a gardening word to cultivate. It's as if the, the word literally means to go look at the, the wild and waste, the dirt, and you want to plant something to grow it, what do you have to do? You have to turn over the dirt. You have to force the dirt to make it hospitable for life to grow. That's what you do when you garden. You just don't throw seeds on, on dirt and walk away and go, I'm done. No, you got to till up, the, you got to dig up the ground, right? You got to make it hospitable for the life to grow. So he says, go, multiply, build cities, families, homes, grow, be creative, make art, make beautiful things, bring good into the earth, subdue it, right? It's put your hands in the dirt and turn it over so that good can come so that good can come and then at the end well back up here the point the point here is that we see that, that god is making good for the benefit of others god sees the wild and waste and says hey i'm going to come in and i'm going to make this wild and waste into tove i'm going to order it i'm going to i'm going to subdue it and then i'm going to put humans there and then humans you need to go and multiply and do the same and subdue the earth like I've done. Like you need to go for the benefit of others. In the end, Genesis tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he has done. This is the first place in the Bible where work is mentioned, and who is the worker? God. First worker in the Bible is God. Right? He, he, he works to bring good out of chaos. He has this point commissioned to us that God wants us to be workers as well, bringing good into the wild and waste. So the question God's the first worker. Who's the first co-workers in the Bible? Well, Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it. To work it. So we see here this relationship that God as the first worker takes the wild and waste and brings good to it, then commissions the humans to go be workers doing the same thing. The humans are are the first co-workers in the Bible. Now, is this good or bad? Is work good or bad at this point? Well, it's good. The fall hasn't happened yet, right? Right? At this point, there's no indication that work is a bad thing. Right? When we think of work in our modern terms, we're like, oh, I gotta go to work. I gotta go do this thing. Pre-fall, there's no indication this is bad. This is, this is the calling of humans to bring good out of wild and waste, out of chaos. And how long does the good times last? Well, just turn the page. Doesn't last long, right? Humans mess it up, right? And all of a sudden work becomes this thing that's a negative in, in our uh, world. Um, but here's, here's the thing I want, I want to pull out of this. When we read Genesis 1 and 2, we're getting a picture of, of really what our vocation is. 
because God sets the tone of bringing tov out of tovu vavohu, puts humans in the midst and says, now go and bring tov out of tovu vavohu. Go build, go multiply, go subdue the earth, go do what I did. Go do what I did. That's a calling. That's our biblical view of work, to bring tov out of tovu vavohu, to bring good out of wild and waste. That is all of our calls as workers in the kingdom, that we're called to bring good wherever we go, whatever we do. And I want to unpack this a little bit practically for you, because what you do matters. You need to know that. What you do matters. Every single day, there's not a moment in your day wasted. It matters. It matters. We're going to look at some examples and, uh, and how this plays out. And I'm going to highlight um, Paul. Um, I'm going to pull out because Paul, more than any other writer in our New Testament, has, has what, what we can see a worked out theology of how this is played out in practical terms, right? I, I believe what we see in Paul is that he has onboarded this identity as a worker for God in his kingdom and his work bringing good out of wild and waste. And so we're going to pull out some instances. Although he doesn't outrightly state this, we can look at his letters and the way that he encourages people and the way that he talks about work that we can pull out some, some truths to learn from Paul as he talks about work. And in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 20, um, uh, I don't have it up on the screen, but Acts chapter 20 is this amazing story. Um, Paul is going to head back to Jerusalem. And, and Paul's worried because he, he, he believes that if, when he goes back, he's going to be murdered, uh, that, that they're going to kill him. And so, but he knows he's called back to go back to Jerusalem. So he heads, he heads from where he's at, um, and, and he's heading to Jerusalem. But he makes a stop in this place called uh, Miletus. And uh, he asks the leaders of Ephesians to come and meet him there. He's scared to go into Ephesus because last time he was there, they tried to kill him. So he doesn't want to go back in, but he says, hey, all the leaders, come, come meet me. And he wants to say goodbye to them. And it's this moving chapter in Acts where you see this emotional kind of reunion where they're hugging each other, they're saying goodbye, and Paul's encouraging them um, as he, he believes it's the last time he's going to see his, his friends, his co-workers. Um, um, so he's saying goodbye to them, and he's talking to them. And multiple times through the chapter, Paul references his work. And then in verse 35, and I encourage you on your own, go back and read the chapter later today. Um, but in, in verse 35, this is how he wraps up his encouragement to them. He says, I, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. Read that again. He says, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Here we have Paul talking about his work. I've worked hard. I've worked hard. And this work has been to the benefit of others, right? The benefit of others. We see this, right? God brings good out of the wild and waste for the benefit of humans, right? The benefit of others. Paul has this understanding that his work means something. It matters because it helps other people. Helps other people. Paul had a belief about work 
because I believe he understood the tov, the good work that God initiated in the beginning. So let's look at three examples. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to offer your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Here we have this idea that Paul believes that all that you are, all that you are is a living sacrifice. This idea that the, the, very, the very act of worship is your life submitted to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. Meaning that what you do in your life, it's all holy. It's not that I turn it off, right? When I go to work, like, nah, that's different. No, your whole body is sacrificed to the lordship of Jesus. Everything about who you are and what you do and where you go is holy. It's sacred, right? You, you, you just don't turn it off and, and then turn it back on when you come to church or do ministry. And now, now I'm over here, and so this doesn't matter. No, your whole life ought to be offered to God. This is the greatest act of worship those who have sacrificed, surrendered their lives to the lordship of Jesus wholly and completely. All that you are is holy. There is no separation in Christ, no secular, no sacred. It's all holy. What you do, where you go, you can bring good out of chaos, out of wild and waste. Um, in Colossians 3, 17 and 23, these are two two areas here. Um, Paul says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And verse 23 says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than from people. Does, does Paul say what kind of work? No. He says whatever you do. And this is an important distinction between work and vocation. Right? Similar words, but it's different. Vocation has to do with the, the, the specific thing that you are doing. I am a, um, you know, a firefighter. I am a teller. I am a, you know, whatever. I do this thing, right? That's your vocation. But work trumps your vocation. Oftentimes, as I've counseled people through the years, they come to me and they say, Joe, I just don't know what God wants me to do with my life. What are they talking about? Vocation, right? They're, what, is, what does God want from me? What does God want for me to do? And it's almost a paralyzing question to a lot of people. And my response is often, well, what do you like to do? Well, I like to do this. Well, go do that. But what does God want? God wants you to be happy, right? Your work is everywhere. Your vocation, I'm not too sure God's too concerned with. He's going, well, you, I built you your way. You have likes, you have interests, you have things that you love to do. Go do that. And God is pleased with us when we are living out that vocation. But work applies to everything. He says, whatever you do, Paul says. It's almost like he's going, I don't care what you do. Do it to God. Do it for God. It's your work to bring good out of chaos. And I know this gets frustrating. I know it gets frustrating in your work, in your place of work, because the stain of sin is everywhere. Right? I've had bosses, employers, that are all about the bottom line and the money. I've had to fire more people than I've ever wanted to in my life or ever will want to in my life. I've had to let people go. I've had to let people go for good reasons that needed to be, and I've had to let people go for not good reasons because there was a bottom line that needed to be hit, and it sucked. I didn't like it. 
I've had bosses that were more concerned with, you know, you got to hit these benchmarks and it's almost this fear-based type of work. Um, it's, not, it's not always easy. It's why it's wild and waste. It's why it's tovu vavohu. In the desert, in the wasteland. But we're called to subdue it, to bring good into it. And I know it's tiring. I know some of you are tired at your jobs. You're worn out. It's heavy. It's heavy. I understand that. Our call is to bring good into it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, immovable, immovable. Always work enthusiastically. Okay, that's not always easy to do, Paul. Thanks for that. Um, For the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Your work is not in vain. Here's the thing. If your identity is centered, your paradigm of work and what you do, when you wake up and you think to yourself, how am I going to bring good into wild and waste today? If that's your identity and your starting point, your work is not in vain. God is at work in and through you. What you do matters. Every conversation, every good deed, every sacrificial act is bringing life and good into the wild and waste. Life and good, the wild and waste. In the end, I'll I'll remember this. Remember where the story began. Story begins with the spirit where? Hovering over the waters of the deep, the wild and waste, right? The spirit of God is in the midst of where God begins begins his work, the spirit. The spirit is in the midst of the chaos, waiting for a worker to act. This is not a work you are alone in. You are co-workers with God. Where is, where is God's spirit at? It's hovering in the wild and waste, waiting for a worker to come alongside and partner, co-work with God. The spirit of God is acting and moving way before you even get there. He's, he's preparing hearts and minds for good to burst forth into that place. Wherever you're at, God's spirit is at work. You're never alone. He's acting in ways you cannot see. And it's our job to trust and get to work. Here's my take home. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here getting a little bit more um, practical. Number one, if you're a business owner or in a place of upper management where you work, you own a business or you're in upper management, you manage people, you're a people manager, right? Upper management, wherever you're at. The way of Jesus will lead your organization to success. You need to know that. The way of Jesus will lead your organization to success. Here's a couple things I've learned along my course of people management and leading organizations that I think can maybe help some of you in the room. You have a responsibility to be good to those entrusted to you. You have a responsibility. There's a statement that I would say is I would onboard and train managers. And I did this for, for years where I would train new managers coming into the organization. I would always have the statement that we would say, that's the first thing they need to know, for your organization to be great, your people have to be great. For your organization to be great, which is what every business owner wants, 
Your people have to be great. Because your organization is nothing without the people. You have to have good people. You need to invest into people. You need to help people grow and develop. Right? And these aren't just practical business you know, terms here. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus cared about people, did he not? He cared about, he was constantly stopping. He was constantly listening. He was constantly taking time. He was constantly helping people develop. He was constantly challenging them to grow. He was constantly walking alongside people as they grew. Right? And then what did he do? He entrusted the mission to the people. For your organization to be great, your people have to be great. If you're upper management and you're leading people, you need to spend time with people. You need to invest into people. If you're running an organization, lead the people, not the numbers. Lead the people, not the numbers. I get you're a for-profit. I get it, right? You're there to make money. I understand that concept, right? But lead the people, not the numbers, and the numbers will come. Numbers will come. Be intentional about bringing, bringing order and good out of the chaos. Be intentional about how you're going to bring good, tov, out of tovu vavohu. You have an opportunity. You can lead better. Lead the people, right? Bring good into your organization. If you are a general laborer in an organization, i.e., right, you have bosses, managers above you, and those sort of things. You may be on the ground floor somewhere. You're working uh, that nine to five. If you're a general laborer in an organization, the way of Jesus will open opportunities for you in your organization. The way of Jesus is a principle that will guide you and help you become successful in any organization you work. Here's a couple things to pull out. Number one, be light and salt of the earth. Follow the way of Jesus. Be mindful of your conversations and remember who you represent. Be mindful of your conversations and remember who you represent. As I've grown in, in, in business and, and without a business degree, without a management degree, why have I been able to find success in the areas of, of, of that part of my life? It's because I just follow the way of Jesus. Right? I follow the way of Jesus. I care. Um, um, I'm mindful of who I represent every day. Um, work hard. Um, I put this here, be faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. Where you're at in work and you will grow. You will grow. Because as I've hired multiple people over the course of, of my time in business, hired managers, hired general laborers, the people I'm looking for are faithful, available, and teachable. It's not the smartest guy in the room, gal in the room. It's not. I'm not looking for the most talented person. Right? You can teach a lot of the, the job. Right? You can't teach faithful, available, teachable right? That's something that they got to bring in, something they care about, right? I could teach you the job, but are you someone that's hungry? Are you a learner? Do you care? Do you care about people around you? Those are the people I want to hire. Be faithful, available, teachable. Your manager, your supervisor are going to see it. You're going to grow. You're going to grow. Be intentional about bringing order out of chaos. Be a good listener. Be a good listener. Care about people. Ask good questions. Someone says, hey, I'm struggling with this. Follow up with them. See how they're doing. Right? Bring good out of the tovu vavohu in people's lives. Bring good 
into wild waste. That is the biblical view of work. And that's what we are all called into. The real question is, are you someone that brings good? Or do you bring more chaos? When you're at work, is, is the people around you, do they see you as someone who brings good to the organization, to them? Or do they see someone that brings wild and waste? Chaos. Our job is to bring good. That's our calling. This is the work of the Lord. And the reality is we all have jobs to do. We have jobs to do. I want to take communion with us. And as we move into this time of communion, no doubt as I've been speaking, you've been thinking about your job. You're, you've been thinking about where you're going to go on Monday. But maybe some of you don't leave the house on Monday morning. Maybe your job is you've got kids you're caring for. God has entrusted to you. Maybe you've got friends around you that God has entrusted to you. Are you someone that brings good, tove, into the places of wild and waste in your life? Maybe you're thinking about what this looks like practically as you leave this space. I don't know that I can answer for you what you're supposed to be doing with your life, your vocation. I don't even know if I'm supposed to answer that question when I get asked it. But I do know this. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you interact with, your job is to bring good out of the wild and waste. Let's sit and reflect for a minute about ways that we can do that. Maybe let God speak to us about ways we haven't done that, that we can repent of, and ways that we can do that as we move forward. Would you spend some time in prayer about that?